team sing. And I love it when they sing that song also that I believe. I tell you, that's always an affirmation of our faith to, to hear songs that, that really deal with what we put our faith in, put our trust in. If you're glad to be here today, give the Lord a hearty amen. Good to see you. Good to see you in the house of God today. Great crowd for a July the 22nd, and uh, we're just so glad you're here. Today I'm going to speak on a subject on how to revive a dead marriage. You know, in the work that I do in helping people, and over the many, many years, I've had the opportunity to spend countless of hours with couples that deal with the subject of marriage. I remember when I first started out in my pastorate, in my 20s, down at Whispering Pines Baptist Church, down in Hartsville, South Carolina. And there was a, an older man whose wife died suddenly of a brain aneurysm. And uh, I was devastated for the family. They were very involved in our church, and she died suddenly. In fact, she had a headache that morning. By 2 o'clock that afternoon, she, she passed away. And uh, I remember just the, the, the surprise, the shock, the trauma. And uh, I was really concerned for her husband, uh, how he was going to handle it. And uh, he did fine. He did fine. In fact, uh, even after they told the family that she had passed away, he was like, oh, okay, and very normal. And uh, uh, abnormal response, really. And uh, I remember... Uh, the, the viewing and the funeral services, we went through all of that. And uh, never once did I see him crying. I thought, well, he must be a stuffer, you know, stuffing his emotions. He's just not, it's going to hit him later. And uh, never did. And one day we were talking, and I asked him, I said, how are you dealing with grief and loss? He goes, well, to be honest with you, Pastor Tim, my wife and I had a dead marriage. Shocked me. And I was a young minister then, and, and uh, he said, my wife and I, we just lived under the same roof. She went her way, I went my way. And he said, I would like to say we were roommates, but we were even further apart than that. He said, we were very, very distant. And he says, it, it didn't really affect me. And he says, that relationship died a long time ago. And uh, I'll never forget that. And from that, the many years of working uh, with people in marriages, I have seen a lot of zombie marriages, people that are going through the motion. I read an article just the other day that said uh, five out of ten marriages in the United States end up in divorce. It's climbed up to a 50% in our country. And then as I read on, it said that three out of those five that survive are very unhappy and they're very miserable in their marriage. And only two, only two out of that five basically are somewhat happy. It's a sad commentary that even in the church of Jesus Christ, there are a lot of people who have a great relationship with God but haven't learned to leverage that relationship in the marriage. And there are several reasons why that marriages die. And as I think about this, I, I, I'm concerned many times we look around a church and we, we think, well, they look like they're happy. And they, so many times people, especially in the body of Christ, will wear a mask and they have that pretend or we got to cover or put the facade up that everything is great. But the fact of the matter is, the issue of a dying marriage needs to be addressed in the body of Christ because that is not God's plan. 
God's plan, when he saw man, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So God created a woman so that a man and a woman would complement each other, even though they're very different. Their thought patterns are very different. Their emotional patterns are very different. A man and a woman is very much created in a different way. But yet at the same time, God has intended for them to come together to be that perfect complement, to come together to, to meet the needs of a man and a woman together. And this morning, I want to speak to you on the subject on how to revive a dead marriage. And if you're here today and you're, you're thinking, well, that's us, you know, we're, <clears throat> we've become very plutonic in our relationship. We've become very surface. Our conversations are, did you take the trash out? Did you let the dog out? How are, how are the kids? And we, we, it's easy to fall into that very mundane, very shallow relationship but I think today it is God's will for us to, to, to become introspective. It's time for us to stop and take inventory uh, before things deteriorate later on in life. But I'm going to speak to you on this subject on how to revive a dead marriage. And I've chosen this text in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. It says, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all the rage, the anger, the harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, Paul says, be kind to each other, be tenderhearted, and then he says this, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And it's interesting because the very next chapter, the Apostle Paul writes about the marriage in chapter five. He talks about that husbands love your wives even as Christ loves the church. The man sets the thermostat in the relationship. He's the leader. You're either gonna take that ship out at sea and have a great cruise and a great relationship and a great life, or you're gonna take it to the icebergs and become cold and indifferent and allow the ice to destroy your life. So today I want to speak to you on this. Now, it's safe to say that no couple goes into a marriage expecting a divorce. Uh, if you knew you weren't going to make it in that marriage, you wouldn't spend the money, you wouldn't walk down the aisle, you wouldn't invite everyone to come around you guys to support you, because you wouldn't do that. But marital problems are something every couple faces. Now, there are times I have talked to people, they've said, we have a blissful marriage, we've never had a problem, we've never had an argument. I'm thinking, okay, I'll be seeing you soon in the office. Now, let me tell you something. Every couple struggles. If you have someone telling you that we never have a problem, you're thinking, well, what's wrong with my marriage? Your marriage is probably normal. <laughs> but, but anyone who wants to portray the idea that they have a perfect marriage basically is hiding something. The issues that every couple's face are problems that constantly dog our heels. The issues that could lead you and your partner from a justice of the peace office to a divorce lawyer's office might sneak up on you or could be staring you right in the face. And I've gotten many phone calls early in the morning, late at night, where someone says, my spouse just left me and I have no reason, I have no understanding of what happened. It just, they're gone. Many times, issues are not worked out the way they should be. They say there are four stages of a dying marriage. The first one is disillusionment. In other words, you realize that the person that you married is not as perfect as you thought they were. 
As time goes on, you see the cracks, the warts, and all the problems. And, and we, as the closer we get, sometimes the magnification of our shortcomings are many times exaggerated. And we see it, and we become very disillusioned. And we, we, th we think to ourselves, I may be unhappy in this relationship. I'll just sit with it and see if it's serious or see if it's just a phase. It's the spirit of disillusionment. And then it drops to the second level in time, and that is erosion. You conclude that, oh yes, it is serious. We do have a marital issue, and this could lead us to divorce. And you, you just develop the mindset, I'll just have to accept it and keep going. But you, you begin to notice in the relationship sarcasm and indifference and a pulling away. The relationship begins to erode. And then there's dropping down to the, to the third level, and that is what we call detachment. This is where couples decide, I don't want to get a divorce. I don't want this to become news to our family. And I don't want, I, I, we've just decided that we're going to detach from the relationship, kind of give up on the relationship. And I will busy myself in this relationship. I'll find the things that make me happy and I will learn to be independent and yet live under the umbrella of marriage. And then it drops to the fourth level. And this is the point of no return. This is when the proverbial saying where the straw that breaks the camel's back is a problem that comes up. Either someone lies or someone does something deceitful or does something wrong where all of a sudden it just gives this affirmation, yes, I'm married to the wrong person. And there's the point of no return where they just resign themselves at the right time. I'm going to get a divorce. How will a couple know when it's time to seek help? How... And when does a couple come to the place to realize, is there hope beyond our marriage? Is there hope? Can we find help? And, and here are some signs that your marriage is dying. Number one, your connection fizzles. Is what we call the great disconnect. All marriage fails and resentment and contempt replace the patience and love that used to serve as the groundwork for your connection. You go out of your way to avoid one another and you seem to be happier when you're apart. Your connection fizzled. How important it is that God intended for a man and woman to be connected together. And when that connection is broken, the great drift begins. Number two, you don't, fair, you don't fight fair or you don't fight at all. Couples who avoid conflict or sweep things under the rug are at risk of building up resentment, bitterness, and emotional disagreement. I've had so many times people tell me, I just don't want to bring up issues because, listen, I'm too tired. I'm too exhausted. I got this much emotional energy. I don't want to argue with my spouse. I don't have time for it. I don't need it in my life. So therefore, I've just learned to stuff it and deal with it. Couples who shy away from discord either don't feel safe enough to talk about their difficult topics with their partner or they may have a superficial plutonic connection. Disagreeing in a healthy and a safe way where you can address issues head on and overcome hardship together is a skill that will hand, help you to stand the test of time. Couples that deal with things that bother them, things that come on the table have got to be discussed, have got to be talked out. And then, thirdly, you can't communicate. There are a lot of couples that are married that they've learned just to bark out just a few little phrases here and there just to get the point across, but the communication is totally broken down. A sign of a healthy relationship is open, healthy communication. So if you're not talking, 
or are only making small talk, you should be very, very wary. Failing marriages lose their ability and willingness to resolve marital problems, and there are fewer meaningful conversations and mutual challenges that are overlooked and ignored, and no problem was ever resolved or disagreement broached when people refuse to communicate. So if you're not talking, your marriage is in trouble. So communicating, talking about our feelings, And then brings us to number four, the fourth reason that marriages are dying, and that is there is no honesty. Sometimes in an effort to avoid a fight or upset your partner, you might want to withhold your true feelings by trying to protect them. And that's why some people would err on the sense, well, we don't argue, we don't fight. But what I'm feeling underneath is like a volcano. It's so important that discussing and talking about our feelings are critical. As good as your intentions may seem, if the withheld feelings are discovered later, it can cause significant turmoil and a feeling of betrayal that you might have not uh, have discussed from things from the beginning. In many times in marriage counseling, and I've done my share of it over the years, that when we start talking about issues that, that people have locked up in their hearts, I've seen the mouths of people drop open when they're like, you felt this? You've had this feeling this whole time and you never shared this with me and you brought this out? And many times, because we hold things in, we keep the walls of division in that relationship Withholding your inner thoughts and feelings is another form of lying and dishonesty. So be careful about what you choose to keep to yourself. You're not going to do your relationship any favors by picking and choosing how much your partner knows about your life or how you truly feel. The Bible talks about speaking the truth in love. And then number five, intimacy is non-existent. This is where to come down to the final phase, and that is where two people have learned to live separately, physically. Many times couples, as this man whose wife, he shared with me, the man I shared at the beginning of the sermon, whose wife died of the aneurysm, he said, we've slept in separate bedrooms for years. We just found it, it was easier to stay under the umbrella of marriage and to get through everything by her going her way and I'm going my way. We just, everyone just assumed that we were happy. Everyone assumed when we were at church that we were functional and doing well. But he says, we've played the game so long, we were professionals at it. It's sad to say that when they went home, they went different ways. Intimacy refers to sexual relations, but it also can refer to more PG actions like holding hands and snuggling and hugging or simply touching one another while you're talking. Sex is not the most important element of a successful marriage, but intimacy is still an important aspect. If we have determined that our marriage is either dying or dead, we can embrace a hope that our marriage can be revived. And may I say to you today, because there's a God in heaven, God can change us from the inside. God can revive a dead marriage. And if you believe that today, give the Lord a hearty amen. Three critical principles that will revive a dead marriage. Here we go. Number one, pursue the right help and a hope for a resurrection. Dead things can be raised because of Jesus. 
John 14, 13, and 14, Jesus said this, you can ask for anything in my name, I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, I have learned that when we pray, we gotta pray according to the will of God. Now, there are some things I can ask God for and God's gonna say, no, that's not my will. I'm not gonna answer that. I gotta make sure when I pray, I've gotta, I, I, I gotta filter it through the principles of the word of God. Is this God's will? Is this what God wants, what's best for me in my life? And I want you to know, God wants you to have a happy, naturally healthy marriage. And sometimes the walls become so high in our marriage relationship, it's difficult for us to communicate. And, and basically what I'm saying is, Jesus is saying, let me be the one that passes a message for you. I call it satellite praying. If I feel in my relationship as a pastor, or I'm trying to communicate with somebody and there's a barrier there, I can begin to go to God and say, God, would you send this specific message into the heart of this person that I love and that I care for? And as I pray, God will do just that. And I need to embrace that by faith. Now, let me tell you something. There is a way to have access into the heart of your spouse and realize that God will do that for you if you'll trust him. What, is, what are you talking about? I'm talking about praying. You need to pray for your spouse. You need to, 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 to speak words of wisdom to God. You need to speak words of hope, words of faith to God. Say, God, would you speak to my spouse? They're angry or they're upset. They pulled away from me. Begin to ask God to soften their heart. Ask God to send a message. And out of nowhere, they might be driving down the road. They might be at work. All of a sudden, this thought just comes to them. God answers your prayer and he begins to speak to your partner's life. You have access. Look to your neighbor and say, there's hope. Can you do that? Oh, come on, folks. Some of you are like, I don't think so. For my, not for me. Not for me. There's hope. Some of you men need to look at your wives and say, God's going to help me. <laughs> Some of you ladies, I know what you're thinking. After you tried your best to change the heart of your spouse, my wife and I have been married uh, 42, 43 years and uh, I have learned I can't change her. I tried. It don't work. I got news for you. She tried to change me and it won't work. She was telling me at times, you are the most stubborn man I think I've ever met in my life. And I am. My last name is B-R-I-T-T-O-N. After you've tried to change your, the heart of your spouse, begin to reach the heart of God and begin to ask God to speak for you on your behalf. And God has access into the inner heart and mind of a spouse where you no longer feel you have access. Believing God can change the heart and mind of your spouse can renew your hope for a revived marriage. Sometimes we get filled with fatalism. Just nothing is, we're stuck. We're, 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 we're not gonna get anywhere. We're, we have a... We have a mountain in front of us we just can't seem to climb. But, but you begin to have feelings of resurgence of hope and faith when you begin to believe that God can fight for you. God can work for you. He can work through issues. 
We need to pursue the right help and the hope for a resurrection. And you don't need so much marriage counselors as you need the greatest counselor of all, the one who created us and the one who's instituted marriage. You need to seek the God of heaven who can help you. You need a supernatural miracle in your relationship. And God can give it to you if you'd seek him. Instead of seeking your friends, seek him. We have a God that cares about the minute details of your relationship. He cares about your intimacy. He cares because because you are a picture of his relationship with the church. When, When a husband and a wife blend together beautifully, they are a picture to the world. That's exactly how God cares about his relationship with the church. Begin to develop a faithful life of prayer by asking God specifically to intervene where you no longer have the leverage to clearly communicate. Ask God to specifically to communicate your heart's desire into the heart of your spouse. So number one, pursue the right help and hope for a revived marriage and a resurrected marriage. Number two, find the right key into the heart of your spouse. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 and 8 says, love rejoices with truth. I love this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone, in fact, needs to be loved. We're creatures of love. We, we live on love. And when we are loved, we thrive. We are at our best when we sense our, our spouse loves us and is supportive to us. We, we operate at our best. And when we're not loved, we wither. We give one another love and we receive love from others. How are we doing in this business of loving one another? Why do we see so many people clamoring for love? Why are there so many people, children and adults alike, deprived of love? If we don't give love to others, we don't receive love back. We want God's love. We want that unconditional love. There's a great feeling. That's why... The first stages of a relationship, they they said there are three of them. There's the romantic stage, and then there's the realistic stage, and then there's the secure stage. The the romantic stage is when someone looks at you and says, I find you attractive. I I love being with you. I love your personality. You make me smile. You make me feel. And there's this this outpouring of love toward a mutual outpouring of love toward one another. And there's this feeling of, I'm in love, and I love them. Makes us, it's a high. And then after we've lived together in a marriage relationship, we see the warts and the cracks and the the weaknesses of our spouse. We enter the realistic stage. And we no longer think that Chubby is cute. (laughs) That long nose that your spouse might have. Back then, you You thought it was so cute, and now you'd like to hang your clothes on it. (laughs) 
And you'd look at your wife and say, isn't it cute? She wants to buy everything in the store. I just love it. Now you're like, oh my gosh, what have I done? We enter the realistic stage. Oh boy, what have I done? What have I tied myself to? The realistic stage. But after you slug it out through the realistic stage, you enter into what we call the secure stage. You have come to accept. You know where all the faults of your, of your spouse. You know their weaknesses and their strengths. But you know what? You have come to embrace the fact that like you, they are broken. And like you, they have faults. And you've come to embrace them. And you love them anyway. And you're like, I'm with you to the grave. And you know what? That relationship can go right back to the romantic stage. I've seen older couples hold hands. They've been through a lifetime of turmoils and troubles and conflicts, but they have chose to love each other and to stay committed. We need to communicate in the same language between the giver and the recipient. If you love someone, how do you communicate your message of love to that person is who is so important to you? And it's not enough just to say words because we have to find the right channel that communicates how we really love that certain person. And we have a tendency to show love toward the people that is meaningful to us. And many times you're on channel three, they're on channel six, and it misses If I speak to you in the Korean language a hundred times until my face becomes blue, you will not be able to understand what I'm saying because the Korean language is not your language of, of communication. You would have no idea what I'm talking about. However, if I say I love you in English, everyone here would get it right simply because that's our language. That's something we understand. It registers immediately in our hearts. And the key is the means of communication. And smart couples who've learned to go through a long marriage in a healthy setting, they've learned to find the channel to work to communicate that love to their spouse. Gary Chapman wrote the book on the five love languages, and I think it's awesome. I use it many times in helping people. And you could have one of those five as the significant channel that you receive or you feel loved by. And you need to realize that not everyone has the same love language, and your spouse might have a different love language than you do. Many times I'll ask men, I'll say, what are the needs of your wife? What are the things that you're, I don't know. You got to know the needs of your wife. You got to find that channel that you got to work through. Here are the five love languages. Number one is words of affirmation. Actions don't always speak louder than words. If this is your love language, unsolicited compliments mean the world to you. Hearing the words, I love you, are important. Hearing the reason behind those love words sends your spirit flying skyward. I had a woman tell me one time, she goes, my husband never tells me he loves me. All I want to do is I I fish for compliments all the time. I do things all the time because I just want him to say I love you. And it came out in a session. He says, I told you I loved you at the marriage altar. Wasn't that enough? And I'm thinking, dude, you you are in trouble. We need to nurture the relationship. 
Insults can leave you shattered and are not easily forgotten. And some people are professional critics. I'm trying to help my spouse to be great because every time I critique her, I expect her to rise to the occasion. Oh, great, you're a joy to live with. Anybody can sit in the peanut gallery and critique. We need words of affirmation. If that's your love language, you need to communicate that. And then secondly is quality time. This is the second, this is the second big channel of communication of love. In the vernacular of quality of time, nothing says I love you like undivided attention. Being there for this type of person is critical. Really being there with the TV off, with the fork and knife down, and all chores and tasks put aside. Make your significant other feel truly special in love. Distractions, postponed dates, and failure to listen can be especially hurtful. In other words, when you're with that person, be with them. Listen. The third one is receiving gifts. And don't make the mistake that love, this language, love language is materialism because it's not. The receiver of gift thrives on the love of thoughtfulness and the effort behind the gift. If you speak this language, the perfect gift or gesture shows that you are known and you're cared for. And, and you are the prized above whatever was sacrificed to, to bring the gift to you. A missed birthday, anniversary, or a hasty, thought, thoughtless gift would be disastrous. So would be the absence of everyday gestures. Receiving of gifts, whether you stop by somewhere and get a gift for your spouse and give that to the person to say, hey, I thought about you today. It's like that is so meaningful so many people. And then there's four acts of service. Can vacuuming the floors really be the expression of love? Absolutely. Anything you do to ease the burden of responsibilities weighing on just one person, an act of service will speak volumes. Here, let me help you with that. Here, let me do this for you. Let me help fix this. And then physical touch. A person whose primary language is physical touch is not surprisingly very touchy. Hugs, pats on the back, holding hands, thoughtful touches of the arm, the shoulder or face. They can always show excitement and concern and care and love. Physical presence and accessibility are crucial while neglect or abuse can be unforgivable and also very destructive. It's a good thing to reach out and hold your wife's hand. It's a good thing to to hug. When was the last time you just went up to your spouse and just gave her a big hug and said, hey, I just love you? Physical touch. There are five channels of communication. And then I want to get to the third point, and that is cultivate a spirit of genuine forgiveness. And if there's one point in this sermon to revive a dead marriage, it's got to be here. And I want to park here for a second. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You see, forgiveness is a key element in a healthy marriage. I found that so fundamental. 
Because we are sinners, because we are imperfect people, because we come into a marriage with our own baggage of problems, all of us are broken, all of us are cracked. And we both come into a marriage expecting perfection when we ought to come together realizing we need a mountain of forgiveness available to us at all times because forgiveness is the only way that the juices of a relationship can flow again. Forgiveness. When we become unforgiving, we become bitter, we become rigid. We set new boundaries. And we make up our minds that, that with that unforgiving spirit, we, we are refusing to give of ourselves and we, we choose to become a taker instead of a giver. And we, we become very vindictive in our spirit and our attitude. And we camouflage it with a very cold, cavalier behavior. Forgiveness is the oil that lubricates a love relationship. It's an oil we need daily. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's an attitude of wanting to partner with your spouse for the rest of your lives in spite of his or hers perfections and irritations. And there are a lot of imperfections and irritations that surface in a marriage. It's a natural progression. And people who are looking for this perfect relationship, many times they'll get divorced, go to the next person thinking the next person is going to be the perfect one, and then they realize, ah, oh, they're cracked too, so they go to the next one, not realizing that that unforgiving spirit has become a hindrance, has become an acid of bitterness that is eroding away not only themselves, but every relationship they come in contact with. People become, become sarcastic. Any relationship of humans will have problems because humans are problems. A fundamental truth is that every marriage experiences pain and heartache. Due to sinful human nature, fumbling in a marriage is ordinary and commonplace. Hence, misunderstandings and disagreements are unavoidable and inevitable in every healthy, satisfying marriage. The simple truth is that spouses do things they should not do and neglect to do the things that they should do. And in a marriage, normal problems occur because no couple ever communicates perfectly. No couple resolves all their disagreements harmoniously or achieves ideal emotional closeness. Unfortunately, the most serious hurts typically happen within the context of close interpersonal relationships, creating a tragic irony of being hurt by and of hurting those who are loved most deeply. When wrongs or sins are not healed by prompt apologies and forgiveness, a couple can drift apart never to experience that closeness and intimacy again. And many marriages are destroyed because deep down they'll use spiritual platitudes and use marital platitudes because their needs are not being met, that they choose to hurt the other person because they hurt them. And there the cycle sets in, sets in motion until somebody becomes the hero. Someone steps up to the plate and says, I choose to initiate a spirit of forgiveness in this relationship. Ephesians 4.31 says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Years ago, I had a couple, and I use that because I tap into that, and those people now are long gone. 
But there was a couple that they said that every morning, this man told me, he says, my wife can never forgive me because I told a lie to her. I said, what was the lie? I was waiting to hear something like, I told her that I was working, but I was off running around with another woman. He and his friend loved to see antique cars and they would have antique shows. And his wife called him one day and said, hey, are you going to be coming home from work at such a time? He says, well, I told her, and my friend wanted me to go. It was the last day of the, the antique car show. And he says, I told her, no, I need to work extra tonight, so I have to be here. And he met up with his friend. They went to the antique show. And another couple saw them there. And this lady called unknowingly, this lady, the wife of this man, and said, basically, oh, I saw your husband at the antique car show. And boy, did he get it. She raked him over the coals. She said, I can never trust you again. You're nothing but a liar. And if you lied to me here, you probably lied to me about everything. And the guy says, the only reason I told her, Pastor Tim, that the only reason I lied to her because I definitely wanted to go and I knew she'd make an issue about it. And I just said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to tell her I'm working. I said, well, you didn't do right. It'd been better for you to have a fist fight and then go to the, the party. But it went on and on and on. Go two years later. He said, every morning we'd wake up. We'd be drinking our coffee in the morning. She'd bring the issue up. You lied. You lie. He says, I've had that thrown in my face. He said, I've been a faithful man. I've, I love my wife. I did wrong. I shouldn't have. And that brought that to the office, and we talked about it. And she couldn't get past. And I said, the fact of the matter is, you haven't forgiven him. She says, I can't forgive him, because if I forgive him, then I'm going to let him off the hook. I said, but Christ forgave you. Well, that's different. And one day she broke. And that truth, and by the way, the truth will set you free. Might take a while. Truth can get down into the gears of our relationships. And one day she came to me and she says, I have totally forgiven my husband. I have recognized that my unforgiving spirit for two years almost caused me to lose my marriage. A spirit of unforgiveness can lead to bitterness, and bitterness should not be accepted in our personal lives. If we refuse to tolerate it, then it would not plague, it would not plague our marriages. Bitterness eats away from the goodness that God has given us in the marriage. And why have so many couples accepted some degrees of bitterness in the marriage? And some have never thought about how bitterness is related to their troubled marriages. Others know of it, and they're, they're committed to deny it and shun it, and they're willing to put up with the suffering and the cold shoulders and the hatred. Yet, God has told us to show the importance of a forgiving spirit. Forgiveness. Specifically, husband to wives and wives to husbands. Why the emphasis on forgiving and forbearing rather than, say, the emphasis on romance and enjoying each other? Number one, because there's going to be conflict based on sin. We need to forgive sin and forbear our faults. Why? Because we are sinners saved by grace. Just because you got saved does not mean you entered a realm of perfection. That's going to happen when we get to heaven. Amen? 
The second reason that we have to be forgiving is because the hard, rugged work of forgiving and forbearing is what it makes possible for the affections to flourish when we seem that our marriage is dying. If we want to get the juices of a relationship moving again, that bitterness has got to go. In fact, there are places specifically in the Bible that that God talks even to a, a man and says, love your wife and do not be bitter against them in the book of Peter. And thirdly, we need to be forgiving because God gets the glory when two very different, very imperfect people forge a life of faithfulness in the furnace of affliction by relying on Christ. We have to create a margin of mistake and error and sin in the lives of our spouse. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to say things they shouldn't say. They're going to do things they shouldn't do. And all of these are important reasons we give a testimony to the world is that we have been forgiven by Christ and therefore we extend that forgiveness to those that we love around us. And please know that I'm not trying to minimize the strain and sacrifice it takes to forgive a spouse that has deeply hurt you. Quite the contrary. I know it is one of the most difficult things that we ever have to do is to forgive. But we know that without forgiveness, you'll not gain the freedom from the prison that bitterness can inflict on your relationship and your marriage. And giving the gift of forgiveness is the last thing we want to give when we've been injured in some way. But in the long run, as you walk the journey to releasing what you might consider to be your right to hurt the offender, which is often your spouse, for hurting you, God does a work of redemption that you're most able to benefit from and eventually embrace, and you would benefit greatly from it. You see, marriages heal when we stop looking at what our partner should do, instead look at what we need to do. And the first step is to forgive as we've been forgiven, not excusing or enabling, but forgiving, looking to Christ as our example. He is the one that can can give us the power of forgiveness. You have been forgiven multiple times by the grace of God. Grace has been extended to you. God has cast your sins in the deepest sea, never to be remembered again. God has pardoned you, and that same grace that comes from the cross is extended to, to you, and you need to leverage that vertically to those next to you. Your marriage can be revived. The devil will tell you it can't. Love can be resurrected. The right help and the right resurrection is going to God. I don't want to, in my years of my life, a crotchety old man. I don't want to end up a bitter, sarcastic. I don't want my wife to be bitter and sarcastic at me. I don't want to live in the mortuary of death when it comes to relationship. I want to realize that there is hope right above us. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. You want a desire for a great relationship. God can give it to you in Jesus' name. Seek his help. Let him communicate for you. Begin to pray in faith. Get your heart in line with God and let God answer your prayers. Secondly, learn the key into the heart of your spouse. What channel of love can you communicate? You're saying, well, I don't know. Now you have a project. Turn your crisis into a project and find out what channel your wife or your husband is on and get on it. 
Don't do what you want to give or what you would want to do. Do what they need and how it communicates to them. And thirdly, forgiveness. Embrace it. Let the past be the past. Today is a new day, a new day of beginning because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgive like Christ has forgiven you. Let God restore you. Let it go. Say, God, bring love back into my heart. Fuel me with your love so I might love my spouse. With every head bowed and every eyes closed.